Welcome to C3 San Diego. Need something fresh, real, and powerful in your life? Connect with us on social media, get live stream service notifications, podcasts, and up-to-date information on upcoming events. We are so glad you're joining us for a powerful, life-transforming message from one of our C3 San Diego pastors. We would love to hear about how God is impacting your life through this ministry. Please share your experience with us at info at c3sandiego.com. If you'd like to be a part of what C3 Church is doing in the city of San Diego and beyond, you can contribute financially by going to c3give.com and choosing the giving option that works best for you. We hope you enjoy this message. How awesome are Pastor Charles and beautiful Pastor Tessa Fuller. Tessa Fabulous. And uh, man, I feel so honored. But honestly, if you saw the photos up there, there's not a guy in this place that thinks that I deserve any kind of medal when you look at how beautiful Leanne is. That's easy. If I was married to someone as beautiful as that. But uh, so she's had the burden for 25 years, a lot of heavy lifting and... Oh, praise God. How good was the praise and worship? Pastor Andrew, you're at another level, man. Incredible. Lift your hands high to heaven. Well, let's just take just uh, maybe 15 seconds. I just want to pray again for just our, our nation. And, uh, you know, I thought uh, Jeff did such a fabulous job this morning. But, Father, we just pray right now. Lord God, we know that as human beings, we live so far below your intention. We live so far below your glory. We live so far below where we ought to live when we are judging people by their ethnicity, by their background, by their uh, skin color, by their nationality. Father, we, we right now ask, Lord God, that you would flood human hearts with love. The Scripture teaches that all men were created by you. That just no matter what the skin color, no matter what the nationality, no matter what the ethnicity, because they're your children, they're our brothers and sisters. And Father, we just pray for this nation because we know that even now, hate is going to be met with hate and hate is not the answer. Father, we pray for an outpouring of your love. We pray, Lord God, that in Charlottesville and right around America where there's that, that, that racism and that hatred and that bigotry and that nastiness and that prejudice, that people would look to the church and they would see in the church the people from all cultures, all nationalities, all backgrounds, coming together to worship the same true God, that people are treated with value, with worth and respect because they know that they have the same Father and therefore they are my brother and my sister. And Father, and I'm praying for us as a church. Father, I'm asking the Holy Spirit that you would take your flashlight and that you would shine it into my heart, shine it into our hearts. Father God, are there prejudices that lie within us? Father, if there is, we repent of it now. Father, this, the first murder happened in the Scripture. And Cain's response was, what? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, Cain, you were meant to be. And yes, to, you, to us today, Father, we're meant to be our brother's keeper. Despite nationality, despite ethnicity, despite background, despite skin color, we are our brother's keeper. We are our sister's keeper. So flood our hearts today with your great love. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. We love you. What a beautiful church. Give someone a high five and a hug and just tell them, I'm so glad to be sitting by you. Just go ahead and tell them, I'm so glad to be sitting by you. Amen. You guys can take a, take a break. Can I just say thank you to the media team and my team? I had no idea uh, that that video was going to be played. In fact, if I was honest with you, I completely... I haven't forgotten my wedding anniversary. I know it's on Tuesday, but I just completely got caught up on Sunday and Sunday duties that I completely forgot. It's this Tuesday's our wedding anniversary. So thank you so much, media team. That was so beautiful, so kind. And uh, just, yeah, it's awesome. Another encouragement to, to keep going. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And I don't need it so much as Leanne does. So I know that she's going to be seeing that video up at North, little fresh shot in the arm. Don't trade him in. She's thought of it a few times. Maybe not. I don't know. All right. Hey, come with me to uh, the book of Matthew chapter 11. The title of my message this morning is Miracle Speak. Miracle Speak. I do have five points. Thank you for the laughter. Yes. Yes. And, uh, and I'm not judging you at all because, yeah, you, you have every reason to laugh because you'll know that I rarely get 
to the five points. But I'm going to try and do my dandest this morning. Uh, I got through two and a bit in uh, the 8.30 service. So if you were there, my apologies. But I'm going to try and do better this time. But the title of my message is Miracle Speak. How many people know that Jesus came to save you and I? Did, did you know that? Jesus came on a rescue mission. He came to save you and He came to save me. Uh, you know, the Bible says that He was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. This so interesting that God, looking through the corridors of time, saw you know, the hatred in human hearts in Charlottesville, saw the nastiness, saw the violence, saw the crime, saw the rape, saw the murders. Uh, you know, he, he saw the oppression. He saw slavery. He saw little children in, in third world nations who were sold and trafficked into the sex trade industry. Kids as young as five, six and seven sold by their parents. And he saw all of this and he realized Jesus put his hand up and volunteered that somebody's got to fix it and I'm going to be that somebody. So Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. 2,000 years ago, he outworked that plan of salvation where he, he hung on an altar that the, the, the Romans had built, an altar of sacrifice. And Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament in the Old Testament, they had to bring a lamb once a year to the high priest. And the high priest would lean on it and confess all the sins of the people. And that lamb would receive the, the sin and it would die for the sins of the people. But the, the fact that the lamb was innocent, the fact that the lamb was pure, had to be inspected three times. It had to be one year old, without blemish, without defect, perfect. And uh, that was Jesus examined three times. Caiaphas, the high priest, Pontius Pilate. By Herod, three times he was examined, three times it was unanimous. This man has done nothing worthy of death. This man, I find no fault in this man. This man's done nothing wrong. I find no fault in three times. And then Jesus was the one who was put on the cross and our heavenly father leaned on him and put all the sins, put all the weight of the, the sins of the world onto Jesus so that his righteousness could be given to us and our wickedness could be put upon him. And he died on the cross so that you and I today could go to heaven. Like, how awesome is that? That's the gospel. That's the gospel right there. Yet when I, when I read the, the gospels, if that was all that Jesus did, if that was all that Jesus did, it was more than, than any of us deserved. For the next 10 billion years, I will be worshiping with all my heart, mind, soul, and soul, I'll be worshiping with everything in me because of what God, the great God of the universe, became a man, became the Lamb of God, was slain to redeem His creation. I will worship Him. And yet, when I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I find in the Gospels that Jesus just could not help Himself, but He had to fix things along the way. What you and I call miracles was Jesus like, yeah, I, just, I know I'm going to the cross, but I just got to fix that. I know I'm going to the cross, but man, Lazarus, come for I know I'm going to the cross. He, he did miracles along the way. So I began to kind of think about, you know, you're already going to save, you're, you're saving the planet, you're saving mankind. And yet you were performing cures and performing miracles. And most of them were interruptions. Jesus was leaving Jericho and a blind beggar sat by the side of the road called Bartimaeus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Jesus keeps walking. He keeps crying out. Crowd's trying to silence him, but he cries out all the more, Jesus, son of David. And so Jesus stops and commands him. To, and you know the story. So Jesus was busy. He's got three years to raise up a church. He's got, you know, three years to develop these scallywags, fishermen, tax collectors, you know, these disciples into leaders that can carry the burden of the plan of salvation for mankind to go to the ends of the earth and and he's got so he's he's pretty busy and yet he has time to heal blind Bartimaeus he has time to heal a Syrophoenician woman's daughter he has time to do all these miracles so I began to think well what is it about the miracles that so move Jesus what is it about the miracles that speak to us about his priorities because I know he was going to the cross but he stopped he allowed himself to be interrupted because this must be of value don't ever think that Jesus got up in the morning aimless. That he got up in the morning going, guys, I didn't plan this week. Anyone got any ideas? Now, Jesus knew where he was going. Jesus knew what he was doing. And yet he allowed, there was margin in his life. 
and there was priority in his heart to heal and to, to do miracles. So today I want to look at five miracles in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, five miracles. I'm going to try and get through uh, that, that, that speak to us about the priorities of God. So let's go Mark chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 to 6. It says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. When John, John the Baptist, had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. Let me just explain what's happening. John the Baptist is his cousin and he's in prison. He's moments away. His death is imminent. He's a, he knows that he's about to depart from this life and enter into glory where he's going to stand before the Almighty. And as he's sitting in the prison cell, he, 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 wants, he wants reassurance. He wants to know, did I, did I get it right? Did I fulfill the assignment that God gave me, which was to point out the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? John's mission. And so sometimes you can hear in the light, but doubt in the dark. Sometimes you can believe in the light, but begin to find struggle in the dark. And he's in a dark prison and he's just, he's like, man, I've got to know. So he sends two of his disciples to, to, to Jesus and have a look at verse three. This is what they say. That they said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Because the sand is almost run out in John's hourglass. He's going to stand before Almighty God and he wants to stand before Almighty God saying, mission accomplished, sir. He wants to stand before God knowing that he fulfilled his assignment. And so Jesus answers in verse 4 and says to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Go and tell John, reassure him he got it right. Go and tell him the things that you hear and the things that you see. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Miracle speak. So let me go through, through five. The first one there, it says the blind see. There, there are seven instances in the four gospels where Jesus heals the blind. In all instances, uh, in every single one of them, that there were men who were born blind. There were men who were born blind. This tells me that uh, the man was created by God to be the burden bearer. My, my job in my home is to be the protector and provider in my home. Uh, th that's my responsibility. Now, my wife is an incredible helpmate. My wife is extraordinary. Uh, there's a lot of confusion and uh, there's a lot of... Uh, mistaken or misogyny but you need to understand there's a harmony there's a there's a synchronicity there's a there's a beautiful ebb and flow that works together but I've realized that the burden of protecting and providing does not fall on my wife it falls on me and uh, there was a time in our marriage I can remember where uh, Leanne has incredible wisdom incredible insight uh, I sometimes lack judgment and uh, she has brilliant judgment and, uh, and so there are times where in our early marriage, especially she's like, I'm like, we're going this way. She's like, oh, that's the dumbest thing. Well, we, we need to go this way. And so we would come to an impasse. And I remember just thinking, God, you know, a house divided can't stand. A house divided can't stand. And yet she was convinced we needed to go this way. And I was convinced we needed to go that way. And I remember it just came to a point where, you know, she was presenting her case. I was presenting my case. And then it was one of those moments where it was a word of wisdom where the Holy Spirit came and uh, showed me something I never saw in the dynamic, in the tension, in, in the, the fabric of how God intended a husband and a wife to work together. And so I remember saying to her, I said, baby, the, the word submission means to come under a mission. You know, it's very, very hard for you to expect your wife to be in submission if you don't have a mission for her to come under. And I said to her, baby, I said, the most powerful act of reverence towards God and the most powerful act of devotion to me is when you're convinced we need to go this way and I'm convinced we need to go this way and you've given me all the reasons and yet for whatever reason I still feel that we need to choose this and you lay that down and you come along beside me because if I get it wrong like I'm the I'm the burden bearer I'll be the first one to repent but we can't Go on together with suspicious minds. No, sorry. I said, but we can't, we can't, we can't live divided. 
And I'll never forget, there was, there was, it was, it was, like, a, there was like an exhale where Leanne realized the power. And you need to understand when she said, you know what, even though I think we need to go this way, I'm going to go with you that way. What, what that did, if, if anything, it just heightened like, oh, shoot, I better be praying. I better have got this right. I better have. And I've just found that there's been a wonderful dynamic. Now, she, she has an incredibly loud voice in, in our marriage, in our decision making. But what's so beautiful is after 25 years, she's come to the place where she recognizes that my job is the protection and the provision. Thank God I've got a few runs on the board and the runs on the board reassure her that, hey, even though everything in my senses, my five senses tell me I'm not sure about this, that, that, you know, I'm not sure, but my husband, so I'm going to come in beside you. I'm going to come in and even if we're wrong, you know what, we can recover. And there's been a few times we've come to that, but it's just such a powerful thing. So I say all of that just to try and, because there's such bad uh, teaching and understanding out there on the role and the dynamic and the interplay between a husband and wife and, and leadership. But it's interesting, Jesus heals seven men born blind because men are meant to be leaders and you can't lead without vision. Jesus said, if the blind lead the blind, will they not both fall into a pit? So therefore, the head of the home is meant to have vision. Therefore, you and I are meant to live with vision. The first thing that Jesus fixed up along the way, seven is the number of completion, is Jesus restored the sight to the blind. This is very, very powerful. In fact, it was the sign that Jesus was the Messiah. Many of us think that when Jesus raised the dead, that would settle the argument. But the, the Israelites, the Jews had already seen the dead raised. Elijah raised the dead. Elisha raised the dead. Seeing the dead raised was not, was not a messianic thing. But there were prophecies that when the Messiah would come, He would restore sight to the blind. When Jesus healed the blind man in John chapter 9, the Bible says, says who, who, who has ever done anything like this? Is this not the Messiah? Is this not the Messiah? Who has heard it ever where a man who was born blind has his sight restored and many believe that Jesus was the Messiah? So let me just say this, that God wants you to live with vision. He put, when God created man, He put our eyes in the front of our heads because we're meant to be forward looking. You're meant to be looking forward. You know, Edwin, uh, Erwin McManus, who was here for our Empower Conference, said just like bees create honey, cows create milk, humans create the future. Humans are future creators, which means that you're meant to be forward-looking. I have, I have an iPhone. I love my iPhone. My iPhone has all my emails. It has a camera on there so I can take photos. Or my brother-in-law can steal it. And take photos of himself and then post it from Mike. Anyway, and so I've got, you know, I've got the WSL, the World Surfing League app on there so I can keep up to date with what's going on right now in Chopu, in Tahiti. I love my iPhone. I can call, I can do everything with one, this one little thing. 15 years ago, this didn't exist in my hand, but it did exist in somebody's vision. Steve Jobs had a vision. And because he had a vision, something that did not exist 15 years ago, today is a common reality to you and I. Can I just tell you that things that do not exist today, but will be here in 15 years' time, that you'll be thinking, my God, how did we ever do without this? That those things in 15 years' time that will be a manifest reality today exist in the vision of somebody right now on this planet. So you and I were created to have a, a forward gaze. You and I were created to create the future. You and I were created to move forward. The sad thing is most Christians live like fish. Well, our, our symbols are fish. And we have our eyes relocated to the sides of our head. And we're always looking at what other people have got and comparing ourselves. And I can't believe that she's wearing that. Well, did you see what he was? And, and so we constantly, that's no way. God did not put your eyes on the side of your head for you to compare. Neither did God put your eyes in the back of your head. So, so you're always looking back. You shouldn't be looking back all the time, remembering the good old days. Or looking back to, you know, a moment of negativity or a moment of tragedy. God wants you looking forward. The Apostle Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting that which is behind, I press forward to lay hold of that which lays hold of me. So God wants you to have vision. What is vision? Vision is a picture of a brighter tomorrow. How many people know that when you get to uh, the airport, or, you know, you get onto the plane and, you, you know, you find your seat and, 
you know, 17F, whatever it is, and you find your seat and you sit down and you've got that little silver button. You're like, what's your silver button do? And, oh, that's so your seat can recline. Oh, my seat can recline? Right now it's like this. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, now I can sleep. Please bring your seat up into the upright position for takeoff. Oh, excuse me. Sorry about that. What an inconvenience. It was here, but now it's there. And uh, anyway, but you know, when you sit on the plane, when you sit on the plane, you know, I'm not sure if they teach this in pilot school, but when, as soon as you sit down, you know, the captain, uh, folks. Like, do, do they teach that? Before you say anything that's kind of intelligible, make sure you start with, uh, folks. Uh, we're going to be taking off on uh, the eastern runway today. We're going to cruise at an altitude of about 32,000 feet. Uh, flight time's looking good. Uh, you know, Phoenix, you know, it's like, like I'm like, you know, who, who, who really cares? Honestly, who cares? I don't care whether you take the, you know, to the east, or the north, or the south. Just, just get us. See, see what it says here on the boarding part. Just get us to this, de- you know, anyway. And so, but they go, they go through that. They go, they go through. Now, how many people know that you'll never hear when you get on the plane? Uh, folks. The captain here. I just checked the fuel gauge. We got a full tank of gas. Let's say we try and see how far this baby can go. <laughs> Co-pilot Sullivan says, "Let's go to Botswana," but I'm like, "No." I like the Caribbean. You know, it's like they, they, ne- they never get on aimlessly. Come on, some. How many people know they've already programmed? into the computer system of the, the, the plane, the destination. They can put it on autopilot and the, the plane, take, because the plane already has a picture of the destination. This is what the devil wants to rob. He wants to come into your life and he wants to put a picture of your future that is a nightmare, not a dream. The first thing the Holy Spirit will do In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. You'll begin to shoot. The prophets in the Old Testament were called prophets, but they're also called seers. S-E-E-R-S, seers, because they were seers. The Bible says that we see in part. You, you, you prophesy because you see a glimpse of possibility. You see a glimpse. Of, and so you begin to confess with your mouth the, the glimpse that you've seen. But you're meant to be shooting arrows into a day that is not yet. You're meant to declare that I'm, I'm going to break the generational curse of divorce and abuse and dysfunction that plagued my grandpappy, that plagued my mom and dad. It's going to finish in my generation. You, 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 you got to get a vision of that. God wants to give you a vision. Vision is so powerful that Jesus says you can't be a leader without vision. The devil knows that if you don't permit yourself to dream, our biggest battle in San Diego, our biggest struggle in San Diego is the relentless attack from demonic spirits. And you need to understand Paul warns about the doctrines of demons. So if you think the devil isn't into theology, you need to reread your Bible. Because the Bible says there are doctrines of demons. So in other words, demons give themselves to theology, not to, not to bring you into a right perspective of God, but to screw up your perspective of God. And so one of those is that, you know, we constantly fight, we're a prosperity church, and I'm church, you're, you're happy and clappy, and, you know, these people, they don't like Joel Osteen, because, friend, God's for you. you know, and so they're, they're against, you know, they're just against anything that's positive. But can I just tell you, the devil wants to put program into the cockpit of your soul, a picture that is bleak, a picture that is dark, a picture that is hopeless, and God wants to come and He wants to give you a picture of your future. Jeremiah 29, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Good thoughts, not evil, to give you a future and a hope. It's amazing though that religious spirit will try and make you feel like it's not humble to dream big. It's not humble to have a vision. But God wants you to have vision. Vision is so important. There's a guy in the Bible called Abraham. Abraham at 75 gets a word from God, you're going to have a son. 15 years later, no son. He's 90. And God appears to him, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. You're exceedingly great reward. And Abraham's like, yeah, all right, all right. Whoa, 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 whoa. Enough with the reward already. I got more reward than I need. 
The Bible says Abraham was rich in cattle, in livestock, in sheep, in oxen, in donkeys, in camels, in, in you know, precious minerals and gold and silver. He's like, man, I've got enough stuff. But you know what? I don't, don't got God, I don't got a son. 15 years ago, you said, you know, I'm going to get, and 15 years later, no son. Right now, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant born in my house, is going to be my heir. You think God could have just said, oh, 15 years, sugar. Uh, I've been busy, China. Um, Let me fix it. And, you know, touch little Sarah's womb and little baby. If the answer was just a baby, God could have have breathed and Sarah's pregnant. But he didn't. Instead, he takes Abraham, he says, get out of your tent. And look up and begin to count the stars if you are able. Because more are your descendants than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Now, this perplexes me because Abraham was believing for a son. God had promised him a son. And instead of God fixing it like he could have, why did God take Abraham on a 10-year vision? Why did God take him on a 10-year faith journey? Why not just put a baby there? Because the baby, Isaac, wasn't the fulfillment of the promise. God gave him a vision of descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore so that when Isaac arrived, Abraham saw that this was the beginning of the promise, not the end of the promise, so that Isaac would grow up walking in a vision, walking in a mission, walking in a promise that God said more descendants than the stars on the sky because Isaac then gets married to beautiful Rebekah Gets married to Rebecca, and the first thing it says about Rebecca, but Rebecca was barren. So Abraham's faith, even though Abraham has departed, Abraham's faith, Abraham's vision is now operating in Isaac. And when the doctor's report says your wife is unable to conceive, your your wife is barren, there's a toxicity in her womb that extinguishes your seed, that, that disables her ability to be able to conceive a child. Isaac knows Papa heard from God. God said more descend, and he was able to pray. So the twins were formed in her womb. Then Jacob and Esau rise up and Jacob has 12 boys and, and uh, they go down to Egypt. 70 go down to Egypt. 400 years later, almost a million come out. But as that million come out, they can count a million. They can count a million. God's promise. So you find generations, generations, generations later are still walking in the vision that Abraham saw. God wants you to have a vision that, that, that is a legacy to your sons and your sons' sons, to your daughters and your daughters' daughters, that the generations after you are walking with the vision and they're walking with the mission, they're walking with the purposes of God. See, we, we go to motivational seminars and God bless you, they're awesome. And you'll hear about the importance of vision. They always steal stuff from the Bible that works. So they'll tell you, in, in, you know, in your vision, at, you know, retire at 50 and have a fleet of sports cars in Zurich and Swiss bank account and you know, all this kind of stuff. And, 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 and you need to understand this, this is not a vision to God. It's like a little zit. Because <laughs> if you can fulfill it in your lifetime, what's the point? God wants to give you a vision that goes beyond Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. My children shall be taught of the Lord. David, God gave him a promise that his descendants would not fail to sit on the throne. of God, gave, God always gives you visions that go beyond your lifetime, that goes beyond your capacity, goes beyond your abilities. But you know what? So many Christians have been lied to by the devil that we don't even have a vision for our next year. We don't even have a vision for our next month. We don't even have a vision for the next five years or the next 10 years. Give yourself a vision. Now, as I say that, let me just say this. Give yourself permission. See, see yourself, you know, married. See yourself with a family. See yourself owning property in San Diego. Is that really, the world is perishing. I know it's perishing. 
well, then why should we get real estate here? Let me explain. When Job, in the book of Job, opens its chapters, it says, all the angels came and presented themselves to God and Satan also came amongst them. Slimy. Came amongst them like, yeah, I'm still, you know, with these guys. And God says, where have you come from? Me. I've come from the earth. Listen to his language. He says, I come from the earth, from walking back and forth, walking back and forth and going to and fro upon it. To you and I, oh, isn't that lovely? He's into exercise. He's walking. Walking's really good for you. You know, gets the heart rate up. You know, gets everything moving. Circulation, very good. Good on you, little Lucy. Keep walking. He's not walking because he likes to hike. The Bible says every place the sole of your foot shall tread, you'll possess. And then it was like, uh-uh, I'm walking on it. Every place the sole of my foot. When you buy property, when you buy property, you rob the devil. You say, oh, devil, you, you may think the earth is yours. See this territory here? We just, we, I have a title deed that I bought this. And on this property, oh, we're going we're gonna to exalt the most high. On this property, we're going to declare Jesus Christ as Lord. On this property, we're going to worship the one true God. On this property, we're going to raise our children to know the commandments, to know the statutes, to know the decrees, to know... The virtues of God, we're going to teach them how to pray. We're going to teach them how to worship. We're going to teach them how to praise. We're going to teach them how to engage in faith. Even now as I'm preaching, some of you, you're, you're resisting. Just get rid of the old doctrines of demons. Possess the land. Possess the territory. Have a dream. Well, well what's the point? You can't take it with you. True story, I heard a Christian minister say, you know, well, we could have bought a home, but what's the point? You can't take it with you. I'm like, wow. Wow, you're a Christian minister? You should probably take a year off. Go and pray. How freaking selfish. You can't, you're not meant to take it with you, you jackwagon. You're meant to pass it on to your children. Set them up. The Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Take it with you. Ooh. I bought this, I'm taking it, I'm not passing it on. Kind of selfish. Anyway, don't get me started. And that's point number one, and I haven't even got to, all right. Well, if you didn't like that, you're not going to like two. All right, uh, number two, Jesus dealt with lack. Do you know there's one miracle in all four Gospels? One miracle in all four Gospels. You would think it's the raising of the dead. You know, raising Lazarus, not, not in all four. If it was me walking on water, walking on water, that's Jesus, the Word, preeminent over creation. Put that in all for Matthew, Mark, Luke, come on, get it in there. No, they didn't. They didn't. I'm like, why would you not? But there's one miracle, all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, unanimous. I'm writing this down. Feeding of the 5,000. Now, Mark could have said, John, John, I've already got it. It's already here. Me and Matthew, we got it. He's like, I don't care. I'm putting it in here. You don't need to. We've got it. Write something else. No, I'm writing it. Jesus, he's copying. Yeah, but doesn't... Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four of them have the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So, so, so why, why out of all the miracles would that one be the one that they unanimously agree has to be in their gospel? It's because it's a snapshot of how life will always be this side of eternity. Until Jesus splits the sky, this is what you and I will face. Jesus looks and there's 5,000 men. They didn't count the women and children in those days, but there could be 10, 15, maybe 20,000 people in the crowd, including the women and the children. But Jesus has five loaves and two fish. In other words, the vision in front of him is greater than the resources with him. The vision before him, what he sees is greater than the resources with him because the disciples said, we have five loaves and two fish, but what are they amongst so many? In fact, they came to Jesus and they asked him, get rid of the vision. The people, just send them away, dismiss them because Jesus, time out. You got five loaves and two fish. What are they amongst so many? 
It is reckless. It is irresponsible for you to think that you can hold on to this vision and somehow minister and make a, a, a reality come to pass that is not steeped in. But Jesus says, sit them down in groups of 50. Looking up to heaven, he blesses, he breaks, he distributes. And the Bible says, everybody ate and was satisfied. The disciple, mind blown. But it doesn't stop there. Because then Jesus turns to, to the disciples says, and he says to them, now go collect the basketfuls of leftovers. They're like, leftovers? Dude, are you a little loco? We were hoping there was enough for everybody. People were coming up getting two and three plates. We knew they didn't have a friend called Ted. But they just kept coming. But Jesus says, no, no, Abba Father was involved. Go and collect the basketfuls of left. The Bible says, so they collected 12 basketfuls, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Tw- they collected 12 basketfuls, basketfuls of the fragments that remain, the leftovers. You can't put five loaves and two fish. Into tw- In fact, five loaves and two fish would barely cover the bottom of one basket. 20,000 people have eaten and were satisfied. And then they collected 12 basketfuls because there's 12 disciples. Jesus sees everything as a teaching or an instructional moment. He's, he came to reveal to them the Father. Let me just kind of mess your head up a little bit. When we read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, we think we see Jesus. You don't see Jesus till the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation says this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus came not to show himself, but to show us the Father. Jesus was showing them the Father that they would be serving. And he's trying to, because he's got three years, the clock is ticking. And he's trying to teach them, guys, in this life, the mission that I'm going to give you, save planet Earth. Go into all the world and make this. You're going to find the vision in front of you will always be greater than the resources with you. But I need you to understand at that moment, don't dismiss the vision. But engage your Father. Engage your God and you'll step into a realm of supernatural. They carried... 12 disciples, one basket each, and the bread and the fish in those baskets were preaching. God is a God of abundance. He does exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask and all that you can think. Your God is a God of overflow. When the Bible says that your cup overflows, it's not because God is into staining the tablecloth. I just wish God could pour it to the top. It's, it's overflowing. Oh my gosh, I got to change the tablecloth. God is not in this. No, no, your cup overflows because you're not meant to have just enough for you. And it's not meant to stain your tablecloth. You're meant to get other cups so the overflow can fill those other cups so you can be blessed to be a blessing. Come on, somebody. Four minutes. Can I give you number three? You're not going to like it. Oh, man. People aren't going to like me after this one. All right. All right. Number three. Number three. Oh, my gosh. Number three, celebration. Celebration. Jesus' first miracle was what? Turning water into wine. Now, how many people know you get at least like, you know, five or six opportunities to make a first impression? You only get, you only get one shot to make a first impression. If I honestly, if I was on God's counsel, you know, and he sends Jesus into the earth and Jesus is coming up to his 30th birthday, he's about to launch his ministry. And I'm kind of in there with God, and he's, you know, so this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He's a good kid, good kid. Hey, uh, what are you thinking, God? First miracle. What, what are you thinking, man? Come on, tell me. Like, raise the dead. Come on, this is awesome. Like, you, you, you go in where there's death, and you bring life. It's awesome. And God's like, no, that's not it. Oh, I know, I know, walking on water, walking on brilliant. 
Jesus rules over creation. Brilliant, God. Oh, man. Because, you know, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, he gave his only, that whosoever would believe. Man, if he's walking on water, that's the best way to get him to believe. Brilliant. God's like, no, that's not it. What are you thinking? I'm going to get him to turn water into wine. (laughs) Whoa, okay. I'm not sure how far along you are with this plan, but let me just explain something. It's the year 2017. I still, I have a lifetime credential with the Assemblies of God in New Zealand. I, have to, I had to sign an affidavit that I would not drink alcohol. Jeez, you can't, God, for God you can't. You, it's a first, it, what? You can't, like people. Oh, they're going to think you're a party God. Like, they're already breaking your commandments. What are you, golly, what are you? He turns water into wine. First impression. First miracle. Because he's a God of celebration. Listen, we think, we've been told that he's a God for hundreds and hundreds, in fact, for, for millennium. People thought that he was austere. People thought that he was the harsh judgment God. Come before him with fear and trembling. That You know, he's a, he's a mighty smiter. Looking for someone to smite. So his first miracle is like, man, I'm sick of that reputation. That's not me. When Adam and Eve sinned, I didn't come with a, with, a, with a rod to spank them. When Adam and Eve sinned, I came and I sacrificed a lamb and I made coverings for them. He said, I'm the God of redemption. Even before they sinned, I already, I already purposed that I would go to the cross and be crucified. How did I get this reputation? So God was shattered. Let me just tell you, your life is worth celebrating. Do you know, honestly, what Christians do the worst is celebrate. So, so, some Christians even now feel uncomfortable that I'm speaking about celebrating. You know, we, we've all heard, you know, and I, I heard this in Bible college. We've got, to, we've got to, you know, I forgot to introduce you guys. Can you guys stand up? This is Adam and Ashley. Excuse me. This is Adam and Ashley Mesa. They're from Abundant Living Family Center up in Rancho Cucamonga. Their dad, Diego Mesa, and his beautiful bride, have an incredible church out there. I'm so sorry. And welcome people watching online. I, f- I, I haven't forgotten you, but I know that you're there. We love you. Okay. Anyway, so excuse me. All right, 30 seconds. All right, watch this. Christians don't do a great job with, with partying. When I was in Bible college, we learned that there were three things, wine, women, and song, that you meant to, ha, ah, you know, why evil, evil. But you know who actually wrote, wrote about wine, women, and song? It wasn't a negative. It was actually Martin Luther. Martin Luther, the great Reformation engineer, said that there are three things that a man needs. The love of a good woman, a, a song continually singing out of his heart, and a good wine. Now, listen, if you struggle with alcoholism, obviously go for the non-alcoholic version. But Christians, listen... People associate party with life. The problem is because the church has moved away from celebration, Vegas and all those places step up. And so all we know is people think, oh, party is go for debauchery and dissipation. And, and all they end up is in more entangled living with regrets and remorse. Do you know the Bible says this? The Bible says, Jesus speaking, says, I tell you the truth, there's more rejoicing, there's more celebrating, there's more partying in heaven over one sinner who repents so 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 that that's, that tells me that when one per, just one person turns their heart back towards god god says stop everything party you know little confetti cannons i'm not sure if they have confetti but you know whatever it is i'm not i'm not sure if they play souls whatever i haven't been there i don't know but 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 god parties so if God says one person's life worth, worth celebrating, you should celebrate your birthday. You should celebrate your life. You should celebrate anniversaries and accomplishments. And Christians are it's so poor at celebrating. We're all serious. The devil's having fun. 
God hates fun. God wants you to be miserable. The greatest thrones in heaven are reserved for those who are most miserable. Have you got some vinegar for me to drink? You know, it's like... You'll find at C3, you'll find at C3 with un poquito naughty. Mainly Pastor Becky. And I know, just kidding, just kidding. It, it flows from the top, it flows, flows from Pastor Leanne. For years I've tried to wrangle that woman in. Can't do it, can't do it. Gave up, gave up. You should, you should plan great vacations. You should look for, for great friends to do life with. God forbid that we should ever just be a religious instructional facility on a Sunday morning. At this place, I want you to, honestly, Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. You should, you should look back and say, man, I can't believe it's legal to have this much fun and still be getting into heaven. We, we often live there. We take our management team up to Big Bear every January, and I always wonder how many of them are actually saved. <laughs> Just as I thought, man, we really kicked goals like, oh, I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta get them all saved. <laughs> but we snowboard and eat good food and have bacon and eggs for breakfast, and it's just, just awesome. Your life's worth celebrating. Your life is, if God throws a party when just one of you, one of us, turns back to Him, He's trying to communicate value. Jesus says, they will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If heaven will rejoice over you. Do you know, honestly, I reckon that one of the reasons young people take their lives is because there's been a disconnect between how heaven sees them and how they see them. When they look in the mirror, because mum and dad were divorced, they see, man, you know what? My value on the totem pole must be so low because I wasn't even worth sacrificing their happiness or their issues or their differences to stick around for. It's amazing how many young people feel that I'm not worth celebrating, I'm not worth. We've got to change that. I'm telling you, God is so confident in who he is that he turns water into wine there is not a religious institution that would instruct him otherwise and I think that I'm fairly free but honestly if I was there I'd be like yeah mate make it number three but yet it was God's first God's first Jesus came to take away the sins of the world he came to give you a life and life more abundantly. Your life is worth celebrating. You're far more important. You know, I've run out of time, but the scripture says that he's engraved your name on the palms of his hands. The Bible says he rejoices over you with singing. In other words, when your name comes into his head, a song fills his heart. That he rejoices over you with singing. You and I see ourselves with our faults, we see ourselves with our blemishes. You know, I look into the mirror and I see all my faults. It's like the mirror is there to tell me, you're ugly. Ah, you know, shut up. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but God, when he looks at you, doesn't see your faults. He sees your potential. You may see the dirt. He sees the gold buried beneath the dirt. And he'll whisper, come on, don't give up. Come on. I've got a great plan for your life. Good thoughts that I'm thinking towards you, give you a future and a hope. We need to come into a line. He's a God of celebration. The richest people in this church are the people that got great friends. If you come to our church for over a year and you don't have great friends, come and yeah, join a connect group. But we want to help you build great friendships. Life works better with friends. Life's terrible on your own. First thing God said, it wasn't good for man to be alone. Just close your eyes and bow your head. I'm so sorry. I've used all of the time. and only got through three points. I think Pastor John was saying, we're probably going to need to fire you, Pastor. You do this again and again. You're on your final warning. But just while every head is bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you need to come back to God, maybe you were brought up in a very, very religious, a very austere home. 
And you're like, man, I've, I don't even know that God is a, a celebration God, a life God. Maybe you're watching online and you're away from God. I want you to come back. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus died on a cross. So the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He couldn't have made it any easier. You and I are never further than one cry, one prayer away from God. And I want to bring that to you today. If you know that you're away from God or disconnected or your life's not right with God, would you let me pray with you today before I close this service? If that's you, would you quickly raise your hand? Say, Pastor Jürgen, that's me. That's me. Would you pray for me? I'm away from God. I'm disconnected. Thank you in there, sweetheart. I see your hand. Who else is there? Thank you through there. I see that hand. Who else is there? Would you raise your hand? Say, Pastor, that's me. I'm away from God, disconnected from God. Thank you on the side. Thank you up the back. Who else is there? Would you raise your hand? love to pray for you. I just feel like there's one or two more people. I am out of time and I need to close. Thank you, sweetie. I see your hand. Is there one more? Is there one more? Thank you, young man. I see your hand. Thank you, young man. I see your hand. I still feel like there's somebody. God's tugging on somebody's heart. Thank you, sweetie. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Let's just say these words out loud as we come to a close in this service. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that today you're coming into my heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for accepting the mission and the assignment of saving my soul. Thank you for dying on the cross to take away all my sin so that today I can be forgiven. I can be set free. Today I declare I am a child of God. Heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hey, listen, if you raise your hand, standing over here is one of our beautiful young ladies down the front. We have a response lounge. We want to give you a Bible, which is the book that I was reading from. It's just God's manual, how to do life to its very best. We also want to give you a book called Following Jesus. If you're sitting with someone that raised their hand, would you go and see this young lady? We want to give that to you. If you've already got a Bible, still go and get one because you may find a barista or a friend or someone who's just struggling for answers to this life that you can give that to. But church tonight, come on, stand to your feet. Let me pray a blessing over you as I dismiss you. Tonight, 5 p.m., Pastor John Heinrichs is going to be unleashing. It is going to be worth coming back for. I'm telling you, he's stepped into a new zone. Power's going to be flowing. But lift your hands high to heaven. Say these words. Say, Heavenly Father, I declare that your favor and your blessing are towards me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, go out and take that favor and blessing and be a blessing to somebody else. We love you. Take someone out for lunch. We'll see you back here tonight, 5 p.m. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us online. We hope you had a powerful experience. We want to take this time to personally help you navigate the next steps in becoming connected. If you made a decision for Christ today, need prayer, or want more information about our church, go to our website, c3sandiego.com. And if you didn't get a chance to give online during service and would like to contribute financially, you can go to c3give.com and click on the giving option that works best for you. We look forward to hearing from you. See you at church.